Hey, everybody. Absolutely great show this morning. We talk about whether Mongrel, the Fortnite pro that finished first in Dookie Dash, the game that was released by Board Ape Yacht Club with the Sewer Pass NFTs, is going to accept one of these bids, these north of $1 million bids that he's receiving on the Golden Key, which he received uh, in exchange for winning the tournament. He's turned down several offers at $1.1 million, $1.6 million. So we'll have to see what exactly he's thinking in terms of a price for the golden key. We also talk about blur and its effect on the market right now, whether it's a net positive or a net negative for the NFT space. And last but not least, we do a segment of buy, sell, or send it to zero with our very own Easy Eats Bodega. Have a lot of fun with that one. This episode is sponsored by us, by our newsletter. You can sign up at thenifty.com to read the Nifty Daily Digest every single day. It'll pop into your inbox. That's T-H-E-N-I-F-T-Y.com. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It is Monday, February 27th. Take those headphones off, Nick. It's Monday. Wake your asses up, ladies and gentlemen. This is the NFT Morning Show. We run the show Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10, 15 a.m. Eastern Time each and every week where we discuss all things NFTs. Crypto, finance, technology, entertainment, gaming, and everything in between. I'm your host, P.O., here with my co-host, Nifty Nick, the funniest man in the business. Uh, Giga brain on that guy. Wait till you see what he's been working on. Kicks, the CEO of Crypto Raiders, the founder of Cyber Stadium, soon to be released. That's exciting. A lot of people talking about that. People are talking about it. Co-founder of the Nifty uh, and of course, degenerate gambler extraordinaire, Easy, the host of GMGM Market Talk, the host of Web3 Made Easy, the founder of Bodagos, soon to be the number one NFT collection on a blockchain near you, Spencer. The founder of Spencer Ventures, uh, maybe the best performing NFT fund out there. I don't know even know who the competitors would be representing for institutional capital. A young gun, a big brain. Signal, the host of Artist Spotlight. Uh, those episodes are just cranking these days. Showing love for artists. Absolutely love Signal's takes. Representing for the Lil Pudgy community at this point. And of course, last but not least, we have Bunny. Bunny, your bio still says that your NFT Nick self-proclaimed uh, best friend. No, I changed it. Did you? Yeah, you got to run that back, man. I'm telling you, it says something else on it my It says end. Nick's favorite now. Oh, there we go. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the same thing as it said on Friday. That's a different Nick. Oh, it's a different Nick. That's completely different Nick. <laughs> Unrelated. Who's to this stuff. Nick? Ah, it's just a different one. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like there's some competition in the uh, in the Nick sector. Uh, do you think that Nifty Nick is going to be jealous, Bunny? I think he's going to be very jealous. Yeah, that's a good call. I think so too. Nick, how you doing this morning, Amigo? How you doing? That was another knee slapper. <laughs> wow. Oh, got him. Got him good. Oh, man, that was funny. I got my new plant here. Oh, look at that thing. It's not, it's not dead. This thing feels healthy. That's a good-looking plant, Nick. It, it looks healthy right now. Uh, the over-under on how long this lasts, I don't know. Uh, I noticed Signal is uh, hanging out at John Bollinger's house. <laughs> um, Show so, damn straight. Uh, try, wait, 
Did you switch headphones to be literally John Bollinger's headphones also? <laughs> Uh, no, I, I thought John Bollinger meeting like air traffic control at JFK, just, uh, you know, just keep flying straight. We'll land you safe and clear. Yeah. Oh, the American accent right there. Love it. Uh, right there. Signal <laughs> Nick, we're workshopping this headphone set for a mobile setup. We're seeing if it works. Uh, really? Okay. Uh, appreciate you reaching out to the audio engineer team to find out how that works. The, uh, because I could have told you ahead of time. Ah, could have given me an answer on that. I don't know about that because it sounds pretty good. Okay, well, if by good you mean like sounds like you're coming in through an intercom speaker in a high school school, then yeah, I mean, it sounds spot on. I think that's uh, – hey, you have any announcements to make there, Signal? This is the first day we haven't optimized the audio settings yet, Nick. Air traffic control on the NFT markets is just, it's, it's a little shaky after the flash crash, but we'll be back in around 10, 15 minutes at better that's, audio. That's basically what it sounds like. That is literally what it sounds like. We're going to play with the audio settings, Nick. Don't you worry. I got an yeah, inside, no how you, how, I got an inside source, settings. buddy. Inside source on that headphone. Yeah, okay. No, I'm serious. <laughs> uh, Nick, how you doing though? How you doing, big guy? I'm doing all right. I'm looking forward to actually doing the show, uh, but appreciate that question. Uh, we we saw each other last night, but you're you're wondering how I slept. Is that what you're curious about? No, I didn't uh, ask I about that. I saw you literally last night, so I feel like you know what's going on in my life, Pia. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, ladies and uh, gentlemen, this morning, if you, uh, I'm drinking my Cinnabon coffee oh. this morning. I'm testing it out this morning again. Pio thinks it's disgusting because uh, it doesn't so fit. Gross. Dude, so it literally tastes like a Cinnabon. <laughs> I, I mean, look, Nick, uh, we, we, we can do this offline. The audience not, doesn't need to hear it, but I feel like you're tripling and quadrupling down into this, like, you know, uh, non-European diet. Let's put it that way. Let's call it a non... If we're not going to throw shade at the Americans out there. We're going to call it a non-European diet. Eating a Cinnabon, P.O. P.O. like cares about the taste of the coffee rather than the fact that it's just coffee. I'm just saying, if you go to Northern Italy and you're like, hey, here's my Cinnabon coffee. You realize everyone in Italy is like, that's a bankrupt country and like <laughs> people don't work for 90, 90% of the year. But like, yeah, let's base our entire like uh, standard based on it. Like uh, there's not an entrepreneurial ounce of uh, anything inside of- Enzo Ferrari, bro. In Italy. Enzo Ferrari, ever heard of him? Big yeah, name. Well, they weren't doing so what so great at uh, F1 up until season five on <laughs> Netflix. Which, let me tell you, they're killing it right now in season five. So I'm pretty excited about that. Quite the turnaround for that team. Well, there you go. I heard about this show. I'm very excited about this show. I didn't get a chance to watch it. I watched Succession after our little dinner last night, Nick. Succession uh, season three, episode nine or episode eight. Very, very strong performances there. Uh, have you ever watched Succession, Nick? You asked me that yesterday. You already know the answer to this. <laughs> I, I'm not into fake conversations, P.O. I'm just letting you know straight up. Like, if you're going to queue up a question to an answer that you already know, it's not, it's, you're not being genuine. You're being dishonest. You're I, for, I forgot. I mean, I, quite frankly, I, I, don't, I just don't even remember if you've seen it. Um, wouldn't be surprised of if course, you had. I've seen the whole thing. Oh, oh, look at that. Look at that. Bunny, you it as it came out. Bunny, you got you your know, hand raised. The disappointing thing was that last season. No, I was just wondering what Nick's thoughts on succession <laughs> was. I mean, look, we got other people following up on it, Nick. I'm just letting you know. I mean, it just feels... It, 
it, it feels like misleading. So maybe if you came forth with like true integrity and honesty moving forward, that people would be really uh, say, wow, I respect that guy. You know, I, I, I respect the, the integrity of this person. I don't feel like I'm listening in on a conversation that didn't, that already happened. I feel like I'm listening to a new conversation here, but we, we discussed this last night. Maybe you don't remember. Maybe you, you were pretty drunk last night when we met up. I don't know about that. I just kind of wasn't paying attention. Clemente, how you doing this morning, amigo? The producer extraordinaire. What's going on, Clemente? Good morning. Good morning. Look, I was, uh, I was excited because as we were getting ready for the show, I saw John Cena himself follow the Nifty Portal account. And then, uh, that excitement went away when I saw he's following 500,000 like people. Not even, so. That's like one of the weirdest celebrity accounts ever. <laughs> I feel like it, it is technically his official account, I guess, but it's like this weird, I, I don't know. It might not even be real. Uh, there's another guy that has Big Daddy Kane's handle that follows me with a picture of Big Daddy Kane. And I was like, is Big Daddy Kane literally fucking following me? Because that's so cool. And then you look and he's just promoting a bunch of crypto giveaways. And I'm like, and what the Cinnabon. hell? He's a big fan of Cinnabon. Uh, uh, a lot of people are. Dude, you know, if you can't, you can't consume the Cinnabon every day. You basically can't ever consume it if you don't want to have diabetes because it's diabetes packaged <laughs> into a box that, and it's instant delivery of diabetes. But if you want to avoid it, P.O., I highly recommend checking out the Cinnabon coffee. And uh, John Cena is also a big fan. A lot of people say, what would you attribute your success to? And he said, well, I worked out a lot and I drank Cinnabon coffee. I, I believe it. And that'll get you as yoked as him. You don't even need steroids. Clemente, what do we got for question of the day? I also know you mentioned an emoji question. Uh, let's get this show on the road. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's get it on the road. Let's, go. let's absolutely get it on the road. Uh, what was the last movie you watched? Uh, and I actually watched a rom-com last night with uh, Ashton Kutcher, which was a, was a good one on Netflix. Highly recommend it. Which one? I forget. Uh, My Place or Your Place is the name of it. It just came out. Uh, if you just want to hang out for like two hours and kind of waste your time, it's, but it's pretty good. You know, usual rom-com. Very nice. I know Nick's been cranking out the Oscar movies. See, I remember yeah, that from last night. I watched this weekend. I saw The Fablemans, which a movie that, as Pio and I were discussing, nobody ever heard of until it was nominated for Best Picture. Literally, Steven Spielberg just like creates a movie and people are like, oh my God. This is uh, this is the world's best. It's a movie about making movies with a with a plot line that's fairly fairly uh, fairly flat. There's not a lot of volatility through the movie, uh, but if you're yearning for uh, a reflection on the filmmaking of yesteryear, uh, <laughs> primarily from the 1950s, where you had to slice film and uh, manually tape it together. And the, the effects were done by making manipulations to the film itself. Uh, go check it out. But there's not much to that. I, I don't understand. This one is not uh, best picture. I will say that everything everywhere all at once, though, I feel like that one should win. That one that one's probably the best of all the ones that I've seen here. Top Gun Maverick for best picture is a, is a little aggressive. It's a great movie. Best picture, though, seems like a little extreme. Like, it's Top Gun. You know what you're getting when you watch it. 
Well, you're getting apparently an Oscar-worthy film. Uh, we got real blinky Nagiri saying David Cronenberg, Crimes of the Future. David Cronenberg, big name in filmmaking. We got uh, Raf saying Ant-Man and Wasp, Quantumania. Not sure about Wasp. Oh, is that just the full title of the new Ant-Man? Okay. Uh, Nick Kay said The Fast and the Dead. What a wild 70s documentary. That must be interesting. Alpha Pro Club said Pinocchio by Guillermo del Toro. Very big name uh, filmmaker, the director of Hellboy. Uh, I'm assuming you wrote it too. Also Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro. Some oldies, but some goodies. Flushing said Rounders yesterday for the 10th time. The movie where uh, Matt Damon is like a poker shark or something like that. Manny said Baby Boy. That's a that's a classic. I believe Tyrese is in Baby Boy. Juniper said Knives Out, Glass Onion. Nick, you want to read a couple of these? Yes, I do. Glass Onion was a pretty good one. Uh, Abro, the big shirt. Uh, he was watching that as part of just a pump-up sort of motivational, uh, motivational movie. It's known for just motivating people, you know? It's... Uh, uh, King Ahmed says, I've been watching The Last of Us. That's not a movie, though. That's a show, I think. Um, Very popular show. Laura said she slept off during your place or mine. I slept off. I didn't even know that was a saying. I slept off uh, Elvis. I, I couldn't make it through the whole movie. I was uh, it, just because I watched it late and I, I was too lazy to read. I'm not going to purchase it again. I, I, I go on iTunes and I, I get these rentals that I pay for. I'm paying for rentals, people. Um, uh, the Fast and the Dead from Nick K. What a wild 70s documentary, he says. And Jen Kempen says... Cloud Atlas. I watched Cloud Atlas on a long plane flight. Three-hour long movie. Great movie. Mm, Cloud Atlas. J Jen Kempen says, meet me in the bathroom. No, thank you. Uh, it's a documentary <laughs> about Brooklyn, Brooklyn Rock in the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, yeahs, Interpol, LCD sound system, TV on the radio. That sounds pretty cool. Well, yeah, I wonder what they were doing in the bathroom, huh, Nick? Uh, <laughs> probably sexual things. Oh, that's where your mind goes. I was thinking hard drugs. Yeah, I am. That, me and Kick's on the same page. What are, the, what are those? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we will read more of these responses later in the show. Thank you for chiming in. Uh, today's show is sponsored by us, by our newsletter. Subscribe at thenifty.com. That's T-H-E-N-I-F-T-Y.com. The Nifty Daily Digest, as of now, is published seven days a week. Nick, anything to add about the newsletter? Uh, we haven't given out a portal in a few days, at least. So we'll give away one more. Mm. S sign up at the nifty.com, T H E N I F T Y.com. Uh, after I put in the uh, spam blocking uh, mechanisms in place, a lot fewer people were signing up, P.O. I'm not sure if you noticed this, but uh, uh, the charts have dropped drastically thanks to me putting in effective spam blocking. Uh, so you need the that blopping is working. Hell yeah. All right. Get your spammers out of here. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, you hear that we're giving away a portal. Make sure that you subscribe yep. to the newsletter. Pretty good odds. Pretty good odds at this point. Subscribe to the newsletter. We're giving one away later in the day. Signal on weather today. Signal, please take it away. Yeah. Good morning, guys. Monday, the 27th of February. Market volume over the weekend coming at 89 million. Blur around 61 million, while uh, OpenSea is around 17. So you've seen Blur just keeping the majority of the share there. 
leaders, uh, backup apes at uh, 70, so they recovered well. Mutants holding 15, and Punk still at that 64 ETH range. Uh, Azuki at 15, Moonbirds recovered up to 6.6, .6. Doodles 5.3, uh, Clone X sub 5 down at 4.8. Ouch. Over the weekend, it was a volatile weekend if you were watching the markets. We saw apes dip down to as low as 58 ETH. But it has recovered post-blur farming flash crash. A lot of the established collections actually went all the way down. Azuki went down to sub-14. Pepins went uh, sub-0.5. Rex Guy touched one ETH, but all of these have recovered. So we're seeing a sort of 5 to 15% recovery on prices this morning. One of the biggest we uh, winners of the weekend was Vincent Van Do's notable Pepe's. Even with 237k supply, they are up 6x since mint. People don't obviously talk about it that much because it's only 0.03. But the first five cards of this collection immediately sold out in phase one. The, the Natomoto card is up at 4.7 ETH this morning. And all the other four cards have done a 10x out of the gate. So an, an amazing cook if you're on the allow list for that. On to bids. UpDown got rejected for uh, their key offer of $1 million to Mongrel. Mongrel said no, but Nygax CEO has come in and he is offering $1.6 million for the key. It's a seven-day um, offer. So in six, well, in six days' time, we'll see if Mongrel has taken that. And lastly, after tumultuous year for Ryan Carson, he has announced that he will no longer be doing the Daily Dose um, Twitter spaces and has officially left Web3. The uh, Daily Dose community has been handed over to Zeneca and the Zen Academy community there. So watch out to see what happens there. On to crypto, things are pretty stable considering I think one of the biggest drops over the weekend was Blur. That has come down to 0.85. So overall, post this flash cra crash, the recovery is good. Look out for collections that have been immune to this um, sort of market pullback over the last couple of days. Those have been some of the most interesting to watch such as notable pepes so for now that 24 hour forecast is light showers but still could be heavy showers coming in later back to you in the studio absolutely fantastic weather report as usual signal some other updates from the nifty daily digest subscribe at the nifty.com we're giving away a portal today to one lucky subscriber later in the show so make sure that you subscribe at the nifty.com uh as signal mentioned a lot of action with notable pepes also, Memeland, the project by Nine Gag CEO, who's been on our show before, put in that $1.63 million bid for the Dookie Dash Golden Key uh, that's held by Mongrel, the Fortnite pro that finished first in Dookie Dash. Uh, as of this morning, he did not accept that bid. So we'll see what Mongrel's holding off, uh, holding out for. Over the weekend, Justin Sun, the founder of Tron, staked 150,000 ETH, which is actually 0.9% of all staked ETH. So making a, a splash there in the staking pool, Justin Sun is. Uh, last but not least, Adidas Web3 lead suggested that the company is exploring the possibility of token-gated sneaker drops. 
I mean, I personally imagine that that will be something that happens in the future, given the parallels between sneaker collecting culture and NFT collecting culture. It does feel natural, although none of the legacy or the Web2 brands, I should say, that have come into the space have truly implemented this in a way that's attracted a lot of attention. Uh, one last thing, Trip Hawkins, the founder and CEO of EA, launched an NFT-based company called Games for a Living, which focuses on blockchain gaming with play-to-earn dynamics. So you're seeing a deeper and deeper emphasis on gaming in the NFT space and from people outside of the NFT space coming in. Uh, so those are your updates from the Nifty Daily Digest. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about NFT Paris to kick things off before we get into some of the other action like Mongrel's rejection of the $1.1 million bid from UpDAO and Blur and some of the action that's happening there. But uh, Signal, what, what happened in NFT Paris? How was that? Honestly, it was it was really good. It was really, really good. Um, it is definitely the best conference in Europe that I've been to, at least. Uh, I didn't go to Point Break, but um, it, it absolutely kicks ass over London and I'm going to say it over New York as well. Um, I think the biggest difference is you, you could have gone to NFT Paris by yourself, gone to the conference and had tons of things to do. Whilst I think other conferences um, where they lack in speaker ability to deliver, um, you would go to those conferences and be bored by the speakers and then you'd just be sort of stuck having to look at the vendors. Um, I look like honestly for their second year, because I went last year as well, for their second year, they absolutely uh, nailed it out of the park. And I think a lot of the big names, the fact that they flew so many of the like the Americans, they flew over the big names. They said we're gonna bring Yuga Labs, they said we're gonna bring uh, you know, Dead Bellas, Art Blocks, uh, Tom Sachs, all these guys came over for it, and it, it shows in the amount of people that bothered to turn up. So I was really happy with the event. It did. Am, am I correct in understanding, Pierre? Are these two separate companies? Is that why there seems to be like a difference of quality between the two? Or are they the same company running NFT NYC and NFT really Paris? Different. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Because it seemed like the energy in NFT Paris and the, the feedback like seems so different from NFT NYC. Like people seem to like really enjoy the conference itself versus mm, like yeah. NFT NYC. I don't think a lot of people even went to it. The, the, the thing that I see the major difference is the quality of the speakers. Like you can just tell the fact that they had so many headline names. It automatically makes people want to pay to go to the conference as opposed to having not those big names. And then people don't really want to go and hear that particular group of speakers because you're obviously you're also paying like hundreds of dollars to go to these events. So it has to be worth your time. Um, and they just like, you know, it, it if you're an American coming to Paris, that venue was literally your dream. Like the speakers sat in front of the Eiffel Tower and it was just like, it, like honestly, it was beautiful to watch. So I would say if you're going to go to a conference and you don't want to go to the US, come to NFT Paris and hopefully they do something like that again next year. Nick, something to add? I wasn't there, man. Uh, you know, uh, what? Uh, all the people that were there say it was a great time, but like, do we really believe them? Like, I mean, that's the real question that I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, there's a picture in front of like, let me pay, you know, hundreds of dollars to sit in front of the uh, Eiffel Tower. If I'm going to go to Paris, I'm just going to go there and eat and then have, and let me tell you, I'm going to have some like just a baguette sandwich, which I end up consuming off of a local store 
don't even need to go to an expensive place. It tastes better than basically 99% of the food that you get uh, in New York. Just just walking around, uh, you can just get a baguette off uh, a random uh, cafe. And a uh, little bit of ham, uh, uh, butter, and, uh, you know, they have... I forget what other items go on there, but let me tell you, it's tasty. Well, there you go. Uh, I guess, how do we feel about NFT NYC coming in a month and a half? Seems like a lot of people weren't that interested in that. Uh, do we think that it, there's going to be the same level of significance this year that there was last year? Uh, well, I mean, clearly not, given the fact that a lot of people aren't, uh, a lot of brands aren't showing up to it. But uh, I think that it's still a relevant event. Um, and, and, uh, we happen to be in New York. Uh, so that is incredibly convenient for us, a very low cost experience outside of paying to host an event. Uh, so if we get that booked, that'll be our primary, uh, overhead here. And, uh, it'll be fun for those that happen to be in attendance. Other than that, uh, I actually don't have, uh, I didn't even apply to speak at NFT NYC but I'm going to a private event they got on Wednesday uh, at NASDAQ. Uh, so I'm in the network, I guess, but uh, I'm not even, a, at least I get invited to that. Can't get invited to any other events. And uh, the number of events I get invited to is just decreasing steadily over time. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, moving on to the Dookie Dash situation with Mongrel. So what do we think about, you know, this declined $1.1 million bid, like, Easy. I don't know. What do you think about the way that Mongrel is approaching his thoughts on pricing? I was thinking about it. He's only 18. He just came through and crushed this game right out the gate. He probably feels like he's got a future of just, you know, nailing these things left and right. I feel like he probably doesn't feel that much risk in holding this thing because he just feels like he can do it again. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, but if he feels like he can do it again, why would he not sell it and then run it back? You know what I mean? Like this is a seven-figure payday, in which he paid under five grand for. Um, we talked about it a little bit this morning. Bunny's number was two million. He said if he gets two mil for it, that's like fair value, I guess. The crazier thing for me is that Mongrel responded to the six hundred ninety-eighth offer and said double it, which puts us at like twelve eighty. He was he's oh he gave a response. Yeah, he said double it to uh, the updow offer. Well, hey, every new NFT has to learn the feeling of round tripping. So, uh, you know, maybe two months from now, he ends up accepting it at 800K and says, man, big tree fall hard. <laughs> big tree fall hard. Uh, but no, I mean, I think, if I, I mean, obviously knowing me, I would have taken that first offer and gotten the hell out of it and just enjoyed it, you know. But I think he'll end up getting the two mil for it. I think we'll see a thousand ETH on it. Uh, we're almost there anyway. And we still don't really know what it unlocks. Like, that's the bigger thing. Like, it is a one-of-one one asset in the Yuga ecosystem. And we have this Toad game still going on. I think that ends Wednesday. But, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I would have taken the offer. Clemente, you have your hand raised. Something to chime in with on this? Yeah, just to add an additional piece of, piece of context here, one of the things that I'm curious about is, A, what is Meme Land planning on doing with this? What's going through Ray Heads as he put in $1.6 million as a bid? Uh, but what's also interesting is, Shout out to Easy for for calling this one a little bit during last week's buy, sell, or send. Uh, the captains are up 37% over the last seven days. They're currently at a 5-eth floor, and the potatoes are also up 33% to a 2-eth floor. 
Um, so that's also worth monitoring is, hey, how does this potentially affect the way the market values the captains and the potatoes as the PFP reveal uh, comes out uh, over the coming weeks? Mm, that's a very good point. And we have a poll uh, posted at the top, ladies and gentlemen. Should Mongrel sell the golden key for $1.63 bucks? We'll have to see. I'm assuming that there's going to be yeses, but then again, you never know. Uh, Jonah came on stage. Jonah's a gaming expert. has his hand raised. Jonah, what's going on? Hey, yeah, I mean, I think you should sell it. <laughs> I mean, I kind of get, understand why he's not. Um, you know, so Mongrel, Mongrel has a really storied career for his age. Like, he's one of the top Fortnite players on the planet. And Fortnite makes top players a lot of money. A lot, because they have referral codes. So he's not, he's not poor. Like, he's not desperate for money. That's why he's not selling. The other side is that when, you know... When you cycle out of a game and you're really popular, you want to have another story that gets you popular on Twitch again. And I think he's banking on this, like really rebuilding his brand. Because when you like what happens is if you are a streamer that is really tied to a game, if the game goes down in popularity, so do you as a content creator. And you need a you need a new story arc that really can set you outside of a of a game in order to maintain uh, your brand. So that this could be what he's doing. I mean, that's what's a good. Up with, oh God, Nick. What's up with all these gaming companies bidding on this thing? I I don't understand. Uh, like, look, I, I I'm uh, bullish on meme land, <clears throat> but like, is it? What do you get for that? I don't understand what the purpose of owning that asset so, is. So I for, asked like, one of the. I asked one of the DAOs. I actually because I called them like, yo, why are you doing? Why are you making this bid? And I won't say which one, but one of the DAOs said, well. We, we just have a lot of ETH in reserves, and this is a major flex for when we release our thing. <laughs> I was like, well, that's a very expensive marketing expense, yeah. but okay. Yeah, that, that was that one up down? I, won't, I, can't up. Say, I can't say. There's only one other down that bid. Okay. So. <laughs> I, I can't say anything. All I'm, 50, saying, 50 shot. all I'm saying is that there's this belief that regardless of what the value holds, it is a great call sign if you're making a Web3 game because it gets all the big, massive ape traders looking at what you're doing because, you know, I mean, yeah, it's like the biggest game asset in the... I mean, there is some value to that. There is actually like, you know, if you think about it, you know, when you're publishing Call of Duty, you're spending, you know, 10, 20, 30 million dollars marketing. So if you're, you're, if you're making something, yeah, I mean, it's a million dollar nine apes too. Yeah, like Meme Land bought nine apes oh, as like a hold on. thing earlier. Yeah. Th this is basically, hey guys, I just bought a Lamborghini. Don't worry, it's for marketing our business. Basically, you'll but see me driving the around. Away. Like, what happens if they just put this up as a prize in their game? And that's yeah, that would be actually way more. Like, kind of hijack the prize and then and then reprise it. The, the the I didn't know they gave away the apes again. So that that actually is pretty interesting from a marketing strategy. So if nine gag won, yeah, you'd have to wonder if then they embedded in the game. They which absolutely is kind of, would. Which is kind of badass. At first, I thought they were doing like the sandbox play. Back in the day, sandbox. I mean, they even bought one of my board apes, like back in like June of last year, where they were buying other NFT assets as just sort of a marketing play. I don't think it worked out at all for them from a marketing standpoint, but it did work out great for them from a return on investment standpoint because they were buying those apes at like four to six e. But if they're embedding these NFT assets into their own launches and games, it's pretty interesting gamification. Okay, so you're going to give away a $1.6 million asset. It would be one thing if you bought you buy an asset and then you can sell it later and you get the marketing component. If you're going to give away $1.6 million as part of your game, 
that that itself is the big uh, marketing campaign. But it, the the problem is, is like there's a limited number of people that are going to buy it uh, essentially on the, on secondary, and then additionally, um, you like well th- that's the main thing. And then I, I just don't understand. So what you're saying is is we can't develop IP that's uh, equivalent to this asset. Uh, that's worth this much. So instead, we're just going to buy it from someone else. Like, uh, we're going to start giving away Fortnite, you know, assets on this show. Although that's not our target demographic in terms of our audience. I don't know. I'm pretty bearish on this. But uh, I, 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 I kind of disagree because, all right. So, like with Mongrel, for example, like uh, with I mean, Fortnite has done a lot of games have done this model, which are and Web three games will be doing this. I've talked to like three that are already like setting it up to get ready for it. But like affiliate creator codes is a big business in the gaming world, which is basically if you're a creator or someone who has something that can drive players to a game, you get rev share on on whatever sales that you bring to the table. It's a it's okay. not it's not an uncommon thing. So so you're saying uh, basically if I buy this asset. And Mongrel gives me a consulting package where he plays my game on stream for a month as part of this purchase, then that makes sense. Uh, but otherwise, I still stand by the fact that this is uh, ludicrous. I think there are worse ways to spend your money, but I mean, it w- would I do it? No. But well, yeah, you can light it on fire. <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm not saying it's the dumbest thing people have ever done, is what I'm saying. Like, it, it has some reasoning to it, even though it's not something I would do. And I also don't think it's a massive marketing cost, depending on how big the game becomes. It, it, I mean, it, Layden said a couple of weeks ago that there are whales spending $50,000 per day, per wow. day on in-game purchases. So, no. So, like, what I'm saying, like, we don't know what, and we also don't know what the key will do in the future. So, there could be actually, like, positive e, like positive cash flows to come from the key in the future. So, I don't think it's... I'd like as a company, depending on the size of the company, it's the worst play to do. It's completely speculative. And also, I can only speak about UpDAO, but Pixel Vault holders have always been bullish on apes. There have been many opportunities, even when the comics came out, that they were saying, don't make the comics about punks, make the comics about apes. And and so there's like a actual there's actually a big overlap in those two communities as well. So I think bidding for this key is not and at least on on the up down side is not out of characteristic for them. Gabe said, uh, "Well, there was a a, a response this weekend." Susan I'm, Cummings, she's been in she's been in uh, gaming for twenty years apparently, and she said that number sounded ludicrous. And and, uh, and I had I remember back with um, when uh, Zynga had Farmville, there were there were basically rumors that went around when the, a lot of the whale conversation was happening. Uh, that basically people were saying that there were individuals who were spending more than like 10 grand in a month. And that was like a holy shit sort of uh, number. 50,000 in a day on a mobile game is pretty extreme. Like I, like it, it, you'd be at the high roller table in Vegas playing Baccarat with that sort of Great. like, uh, like to, to have that drop and you'd get a free hotel room for probably a month for like participating <laughs> on that level. Uh, but but uh, like you got yourself a private suite there. Uh, well, hey, at the end of the day, talking marketing, I mean, both of these companies have us talking about them for just putting offers on this, which I think lends credence to just the sheer power of Yuga Labs. Um, and then also... Uh, they could have been on our show for far less. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And both of these companies, you know, trying to do some innovative things. 
maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't, but at least, you know, we're, we're seeing some new marketing things. And there's all sorts of things NIGAG could do. They could fractionalize the key, right? Or fractionalize, they could hire Mongrel again to, I don't, I don't know if the key already unlocks the end result, but if it already unlocks the end result, they could, you know, fractionalize it. As, as Sig said, it could be a, a, a super rare, like, giveaway in the game. Uh, but yeah, either way, uh, we're talking about them. So it is a one of one Yuga Labs uh, asset, which we haven't really seen before. We've seen the Mega Mutants and you know the Gold Apes and you know the Astronaut Apes, like high value Yuga assets. But we've never seen a true one of one. Spencer has his hand raised. Spencer, something to chime in with? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be interesting too. Like when you were talking about this as a marketing spend, my understanding was that he bid on it from his personal account, right? Like, how common are you that these are like? the business is bidding on it versus like individual collectors. I mean, if, you, if you're someone with a lot of money in the NFT space, as you said, like there really aren't other one-of-one -one assets in the Ulabs ecosystem, right? The closest we saw was Mega Mutants. And so like, just for like, forget it for a moment, like just buying this asset doesn't seem unreasonable, even in the $2 million range. Cause you got gold apes going every day of the week for a million bucks. You got Mega Mutants going every day of the week for a million bucks, right? And there's like 60 gold apes. There's 20 Mega Mutants. There's one key, right? And I don't know. Like, I think easily in the last bull market, this was would have gone for a lot more. The thing is that you guys said that I did want to like put a counterpoint to is the idea that like um, that it would make sense. So maybe it goes like a company could buy this for marketing and then it goes up in price. Like that feels really, really inappropriate for companies to do. And it just like, I cannot tell you how giga bearish I feel on companies that are like pseudo trading their treasuries, right? And this is something that we, we talk not enough about in the space. But like, my, it's my view that if you ever see CEOs of a company using company funds to buy speculative NFTs, you just run, right? Like that's a sign that it's over, in my view. I mean, you know, that's a fair, a fair way to look at it. Joni, you have your hand raised something to chime in with before we move on? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I agree with Spencer on like spending your own treasury like that that's like very irresponsible on the other side uh you know when you when you spend money on marketing you're not exactly looking for a return on your marketing you're you're looking to build your brand value for a longer term of the value of the brand so like if you spend 1.6 million on an advertisement but it generated enough value and clicks and engagement for your brand and you can afford it and you think you can make that money back on whatever other product you're going to promote, then then it is worthwhile. Uh, but if again, if I were Mongrel, I would sell this thing and just do it again somewhere else. And like, you know, you you've done it. You built your brand. Once you like, in in my opinion, once you sell it for 1.6 million, that's when the, your new brand is solidified. You're known as like the kid who like made that money off the apes, and and just take your money and you know, call it. Just just be done. Yeah, I mean, look, I tend to agree to a point. I think what Spencer said about gold apes, uh, mega mutants and everything, at the end of the day, if he's comping this one-of-one one asset against those assets, then the offers he's... I mean, maybe the 1.6 is fair, but I think he might be thinking like 2 million bucks, right? Because there's only one of these things. Nick? Yeah, I think maybe uh, my perspective is just biased because we're just relatively poor uh, compared to... <laughs> Uh, some of these people that are willing to spend that much. And so that's why I have such a, a gross misunderstanding of proper <laughs> capital management um, is because I'm just like, I'm a peasant relative to all these, uh, all these uh, uh, ballers. And so I, I'm, the, I'm the first to acknowledge it. You know, a lot of people, um, I have that Tiffany, that discount Tiffany necklace 
that I feel really positive about. But a lot of other people look at me and they say, they say, you only spent a thousand dollars on that. What type of loser are you? I'll throw in one other thing here. There was someone who tweeted out this weekend uh, a picture of them on a private jet uh, with them uh, with on their computer, them shopping for crypto punks. And it was the douchiest tweet that I've ever seen in my life. Like it, it, it just didn't make any sense. And I was like, if this is the audience of people that are buying crypto punks, at the, or at, then like, I don't know, maybe it, maybe it was a bad idea, you know, buying buying that thing. It was just, it, it was obscene just seeing it. And he's flying on the private jet with himself, and it it was just, I don't know, it it was uh, from from Tokyo back to like the U.S. or something. And I'm just like. I don't, I don't like this. Like this is this ain't classy. Breaking news: that is the audience for CryptoPunks. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it it is. And and if you're lucky enough it's to be literally the ultimate digital flex, right? So like, if you're flying in a private jet, you know, in Web three, you're probably looking at CryptoPunks. And the point is, if you're like smart enough to have bought it for less than what the future private jet people uh, have, then you were smart. So that's where you're at, Nick. So, you know, I think selling it now before all the private jet people get in, that's going to be a, a risky move. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, a reminder that the show is sponsored by the Nifty Daily Digest. Sign up at thenifty.com. That's T-H-E-N-I-F-T-Y.com. That is our daily newsletter. It goes out seven days a week. We're giving away a portal during this show to one of the subscribers of the newsletter. So if you haven't subscribed, make sure you do subscribe for a chance to win. Also, should clarify, uh, and this is, uh, Spencer kind of made an offhanded comment about this, just to clarify, the 9gag CEO uh, did uh, put in his bid, or it's it's not from company treasury funds. So, so there you go. That's not what's happening here. Just wanted to make sure we clarify that. So next, yeah, next talk... Pio, uh, to clarify, I wasn't saying at all to sell meme land or anything because of this bid. I, I got a couple of DMs about that. I was just saying, in the case in general, where you see people trading the treasury, like big flag. Um, and so I, I'm actually super glad to hear that that is not the case of this. I did not think that was the case of this. As we said, it's from his personal account. And like this is one of those things, too, that can be a little bit like misleading in the NFT space. There are some... NFT CEOs that are just independently wealthy, like uh, unrelated to the company they're currently running. Um, and you know, another example of that was uh, like Ice Bags over at Kempai Pandas. Mm-hmm. Like when you see him flexing on his private jets, like he been he been done flying private before before he had an NFT. Yeah, he's project, not using right? company funds to to do it. And and to Spencer's point, this is like I think that uh, like two weeks after uh, Pixelmon made sixty million dollars. The founder then went and bought like multi-million dollars worth of NFTs, obviously with the Pixelmon money. So there's there's clear differences between the two. Definitely differences, no question about it. Spencer, you're gonna get DMs anytime you maybe said something that maybe could be misconstrued of telling people to sell an eight thousand dollar asset because a lot of people that own those assets, that's like eighty percent of their net worth. So they get really emotional. We've all oh, ex- oh shit. <laughs> we we've we've all experienced that. Anyway, multi level marketing, you know, like everybody's <laughs> yeah, you know, all the holders are aligned. Uh, towards one goal, price go up. There you go. Next topic, Blur removes bid restrictions on flagged assets and receives a mixed response. So after working with Looks Rare to not show OpenSea flagged assets as a default, Blur has made it so flagged assets can now be sold to collection offers. After tweeting that the price difference between NFTs with and without third-party flags has disappeared. 
Uh, other blur-related news is that on Friday, Board Ape Yacht Club expl- experienced a fla- uh, flash crash. We heard Signal drop that that line earlier today. Um, and so, I mean, look, more action in the Blur ecosystem. This flash crash was in response. It was actually right after OSF and Mando sold for $9.1 million. Uh, basically, people are pointing the finger at Machi, Big Brother, and Franklin is bored uh, for their behavior. And Franklin actually was on this show right before this happened on Friday. Um Easy, I'd love to know your take. I want to hear from Nick on this. Like, Easy, what do you think of of all that action on Blur right now? Blur had some interesting statistics where they were saying that flagged assets because of the Blur farming were actually like very close to the floor price of non-flagged assets. It was basically minuscule. So at that point, you can actually enable flagged or unflagged. They've given options, but by default, they don't provide it. And I think the bigger thing, like the, my cause of like concern is that it's just continuing down this path of like NFTs are no better than just like a shit coin with a picture at this point. Because like now you're literally just trading an order book. Who cares what the asset is that you're getting? And the blur farmers are just playing into that with the instant liquidity. The pressure put on Franklin's actually like more interesting to me because he's not even top 15 anymore in blur farming points. Machi's still one, but there's 14 other people. I think 16 to be honest. I think he's 17 right now in front of him. It's just that Franklin's a popular name. So people just kind of go that route. Um, and that's like the bigger thing to me. I yeah, think and, that, okay, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, dude. I just ruined the vibes. I was going to say that, uh, Spencer, I, I just saw Spencer tweeted out something last night that I thought was interesting on that point. Easy that, uh, that Mache and, uh, Franklin were getting all of this heat for like crashing the floor price when in reality, it was uh, OSF and Mando that sold all of the apes that then caused the price to go down, even though now that it's like back up. So it's just interesting that certain people get all of the hate when in reality, like there's one party that actually sold it. And I'm not blaming them. They made $9 million. That should be like cheered in the NFT space that they made such a legendary trade. We should be able to cheer them and also not blame the people that got caught holding the bag and had to de-risk. Like, if you're playing a high-stakes game, you're playing a high-stakes game. Like, you got to understand the risks and that things like this can happen. So um, I, I like that tweet. I, I definitely agreed with it. And Spencer has his hand raised. Spencer, something to chime in with here? Yeah, I don't know. That, that, that tweet was more about, like, I've just seen a lot of people recently been saying, like, oh, the blur bid farming is crashing the floors. And, like, that's just certainly not true, right? Like, the thing about it is that the bid farmers are, are clearly a net zero impact on the floor in the sense of, like, Yes, when they get dumped into, they resell. But that means that there's like sell pressure from one actual seller and it goes to them, right? Then they, when they resell, that's just the same, like it, it has no impact because it, it was already being sold into the floor anyway. And so like one thing that I think people should be looking for is actually look for these moments where someone who is a blur bid farmer gets dumped into at size. They try and offload a lot in a small amount of time, right? And that's, like, I mean, I wouldn't say that it's always a buy, but oftentimes that looks like an opportunity to pick up a project, especially when it's one person selling and not like a general community sentiment shift, right? Like this is why we saw, for example, that um, Moonbirds, when they sold off, sold off really hard, it was the same thing. There was like a hundred Moonbirds in Machi's wallet. Um, Machi then dumped them all, but we didn't see a rebound. Why? Because there was actually a structural change in, dem- in demand underlying that, right? It wasn't just one person selling. With apes, like I don't think there was anything that structurally changed demand other than one holder 
or I guess OSEF and Mando are two holders, but one like group of people that just decided, hey, today we're selling this asset, not because they like necessarily lost confidence in apes or like everybody lost confidence in apes just because they're like, hey, like we're making our nine million bucks, you know? And so like, I think as a trader in this market, watch these big movements of these NFTs and try and assess out, okay, is the big movement a structural change where we're going to see this like large acute sell-off, like decreased price for a while because there's just a sentiment shift? Or is this like one trader? We saw it too in, um, you know, in Pudgy Penguins, there was one trader, this guy 9x9x9, who dumped like 200 little pudgies in a day, right? And you know what? The little pudgy floor went down and then it rebounded, right? It was just one seller selling off. But again, you look at like proof ecosystem and it's a, it's, it's a completely different beast. So I think like what happens is this this trail of like what happened gets a lot muddier because of blur bids. So it's harder, You could, like at the end of the day, you see, okay, Machi sold a lot and price went down. But like, look two steps back, look as far back as you can go in that story of like what's actually happening. Because the story is still there. It's still on chain. Like, how did it end up in his wallet? And he's really just like this net zero impact filter through. Um, but like, watch Machi's wallet. Because there's like any product that has 100 or more in his wallet, like that's a risk that I mean, that's at risk of, of having a large price decrease because he, he's not the strongest, most diamond handed seller. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I think some of the frustration, uh, PO, is coming from uh, like that blur has indeed without question like completely changed like the market dynamics of like how people look at nfts how people look at volume like pretty much volume is is very hard to interpret now i mean it, uh, quad it was talking to easy and i the other day and he sold one of his moonbirds last week it's now been sold 12 times <laughs> since he sold it like four or five days ago like that never never ever ever happened in nfts before blur came around so like as a as an old trader, it's still hard for me to like look at volumes, look at these swings, and really, you know, ha have confidence when I see volume that it's anything other than blur farmers deciding that they can farm this thing up and down for a period of time. Because unless I'm wrong, like uh, what I'm seeing uh, now, I just look at floor prices. When I look across the board, there's not a lot of movement. Uh, like uh, when you kind of move, take out the intraday volatility, there just seems to be a lot of blur farming. So it seems like we're kind of stuck in the mud here. Nick, something to chime in with? Uh, I agree with Kix. It, you know, the saying, Machi and Franklin both are like, I'm letting new people into the community. And I, and it's like, no. Like, y'all are just trading hands, like, of, of the exact same asset. And instead, it's like, uh, oh, the history on some of these uh, apes are, are ludicrous. That said, there was an opportunity this weekend to just print twenty five, thirty thousand dollars basically by picking up some of those uh, apes, which would have been the strongest move at this point in time. And and that mere like that fact in itself actually ends up doing more to sustain the floor prices on a lot of these different uh, NFTs, I think. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily mean like at least for like Board Ape Yacht Club. Uh, and, like you're and, saying and kind of like buy the dip opportunities now people when they see that next dip opportunity because apes got down to like what 55 now they're at 70 yeah they, they were down it was you could have bought it for like ninety thousand dollars and then sold it for at least 115 right away or some somewhere around that range and so uh, that means like I'm now willing to risk ninety thousand dollars on a bet basically to go and try and uh, call that bottom now let me tell you historically, <laughs> Making that sort of trade is one of the most risky trades you can do, but inevitably it, it provides some sort of floor. 
Now, what you could see is that gradually goes down, right? Like the new level, the new base keeps going down a little bit. Yeah, if like that apes happens, are, apes are down like 10% now from where they were before all of this stuff went down. Yeah. Uh, so it was at one, the floor was at $125,000. Now it's at like 115 or something like that. But they were down like to 90,000 or 95,000 is what you could have got it for. And uh, if you're, if you're holding or, and you were considering, you know, I mean, at some point I even think about my own, I'm like, yo, I bought this thing for like a thousand dollars. I can sell this thing the other day for 125,000. I mean, you, you have got to a new profile pic. You, you have to, you have to <laughs> yeah, you have to like rationally look at that at some point and say, what's the, uh, what's the upside? And, uh, if you follow, I mean, some people, I forget who it was that said uh, inevitably it goes to half a million again this year. I just think that's ridiculous. That was Kaleo. Yeah, Kaleo. And uh, I mean, a whole uh, lot more year left, Nick. I mean, it's it seems a little extreme. That's that's <laughs> that's the uh, the bottom line. Yeah, if, if you're betting on that, you can bet on like Carvana and probably get the same return. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? In terms of you're you're betting on like a real economic turnaround. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I mean, but just in that point, like. Apes going up to half a million dollars is not as uh, ridiculous as easy saying apes going down to 30. It's like you hear those calls and you're like, that's absolutely ridiculous. But then you see the market conditions for them to get taken down to like even 58. You need something so aggressive and something that has never happened before for those prices to readjust both downwards and upwards. But uh, like going on your point, Nick, about... Um, taking that high risk of like deploying 55 ETH when you see that dip because you know that apes are going to retest back to 70. You don't even have to do it. Um, you don't even have to take that trade risk on collections as expensive as that. Like if you looked at what Beans did, if you looked at what Rec Guy did, obviously those moves are not going to be as wild, but you saw it. Like you saw Rec Guy go down to like just above one and now they're like at 1.2. And the last couple of weeks it's been really difficult to like understand what is bid farming price like what's priced in with all the farming on a collection like rec guy versus what is the actual true price and so when you see these swings come down so aggressively you're like okay that's where the floor is the floor is just above one ETH and then when you have that data point you can trade confidently um, around it so I think these kind of um, uh, anomalies tell you very clear information about collect collections collectors and where the real floor price is and then you can make trades around that so you said something uh the other day which uh has sat with me and or stuck with me um which was if you look at the nifty portal <clears throat> floor price that you've been because you can't list it on blur and because we still get commissions on that bad boy so dump them all day long royalties uh, uh yeah sorry same thing um, uh, that, uh, essentially it's a proxy for the, for the health of the overall market. And I like that, uh, way of viewing it basically, which is that because we're not on blur, you can see how things are going, um, as a result of that. Uh, that said, I mean, I see a lot of our activity on, uh, it goes to weath offers, uh, which makes me think that I missed my opportunity to make some, uh, weath offers on our own project, but, uh, I'm gonna start doing that. Uh, I'm just too lazy to convert into wheat, but I, I like that as like sort of a proxy guide for you know what what people think of the health of the overall market. That that was uh, insightful. We're gonna go to Jonah because he's got his hand raised, and then we actually have 
our new favorite segment, buy, sell, or send it to zero with our very own Easy Eats Bodega. It's a fan favorite. Really excited to get to that one. But Jonah, what's on your mind? Yeah, well, first I agree with Easy regarding Blur. I mean, <clears throat> we've just turned this into complete all coin uh, work, uh, which which cannot be good in the long run. I will say that... Uh, I mean, you guys are the expert traders, not me, but it's so funny that not a single one of you mentioned why Machi might be doing this. <laughs> you know, like everyone's looking right, but look left. Uh, I think, I don't know if people realize he has a project that it's currently going to market. So wouldn't it be quite smart for him to lose a little bit of money or do a little bit of weird trading? So that way everyone's talking about him. As I know for a fact, he has a project, which I think is with Shillin Villain and Bark that involves another ape project. I won't say the name because I'm not paid to, paid to talk about it. But I can tell you, I know for a fact, because I've gotten DMs, that he has another NFT he's working on. So, you know, let's Public just knowledge. another marketing experience. Yeah, huh? it, that, yeah, it's already available. You can go buy it if you want. Uh, but I, I don't know. I don't think he's doing it for marketing. I think he's trying to blur farm. Like, I, I genuinely think well, that if that's he's, like, If that's all he's doing, then he's very bad at it. <laughs> a lot of people agree. He should, he should stop doing it then, because he's hurt himself. He made a lot of money on the first round. Machi, if you listen to this, stop it. Get some help. Don't do that anymore. He made a lot of money on the first round, Jonah. Well, you know, a clock's right twice in a day, right? Isn't that what they say? Something like that. (laughs) Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. But, you know, I don't know. I think the clock's always right, Jonah. I think it's a broke clock. Is right. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what I was saying. Because I'm also a broken clock, but something like that. That's r- that's right, Bunny. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Buy, sell, or send it to zero with easy double buyer. Oh, it, it's going to zero. Wow. Yeah. Zero. Send it to zero, easy. <laughs> this thing is garbage. There's our working audio clip. Still working on it, ladies and gentlemen, for buy, sell, or send it to zero. Our new favorite segment where Easy Eats Bodega, our very own trader extraordinaire, discusses which projects he would buy right now, which ones he would sell right now, and which ones he's just sending them to zero. So we talk about five different collections. We got five queued up. We talk about their current floor prices and whether he's ready to buy, sell, or send. Easy, are you ready to get into this? Oh, I was born ready. Let's go. First collection, very popular collection over the past month, month and a half. Checks by Jack Butcher at 2 Ethereum. Buy, sell, or send it to zero. I'm selling here. I'm selling here. Uh, I think the Jack Butcher hype is still present, but now you're looking at something like Vince Van Doe with notable Pepe's gaining a massive amount of the interest at the moment. So that's something that I think is going to continue to shift that focus. There's now also Matchboxes, which is another popular project. I don't hold any of these, but I think that those are starting to gain focus and are in the same realm as like massive supply, burn, future kind of things. And people are always looking for the next one, which causes liquidity to cycle. We still have declining daily active users, et cetera. And seeing the OPEPIN dump uh, down to like 0.55 and checks dump again to 1.5 before pumping back to where they are, I think now is a a decent time to take some off the table on a a nice 30 to 40% run up. I mean, look, anytime something's sitting there at two ETH and there's a decent supply of it, uh, it's hard for it to sustain that. So that's a sell for checks by Jack Butcher by Easy. Next collection, the plague at 0.36 Ethereum. The plague. Yeah, I'm a buyer of the plague right now. I like those where they are. I think they can get in the same realm as like sappy seals. Uh, Ponds is really active on the timeline, which is a huge win. Uh, and you just have like a very strong community that 
despite not being like in your face consistently, shows up daily, continues to try things and see what kind of hits. And that's one of those plays that I think is going to be here next bull run. The plague at point thirty six. Nick Nick's nodding his head. I mean, they keep showing up in my timeline. I don't know what to say. Uh, Pawns, uh, but They're always I mean, just around. Like it's also it's also that. biased. I mean, primarily because like it's it's just the Twitter feed. I end up clicking on some of the stuff there. Uh, you know, I like the art. I like it. Uh, he should keep showing up in the uh, in the feed for me. Um, it, but I feel like I'm being swayed primarily by my Twitter feed. So I don't know. I, it's hard to give a pr- proper analysis on this. Uh, for something like this, this is one where it's like, mm, it went on a serious pump. Wasn't it? Weren't they at like one ETH for a bit there or something like that? Up to one. Yeah. During the cute meta style run, we saw 0.8 ETH is what we yeah. had. Yeah. There were some sales over that. We had Rue Troop also make a run. We had Sappy Seals end up getting where they were. We saw it was all red around when Pudgy started taking off. People were looking for the next one. I, I mean, I like it. Um, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't personally, I'm not doing this style of trading right now, so I wouldn't pick it up personally, um, but I like it as a trade uh, of one option to bet on. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's a buy from Easy on the Plague at .36 ETH. Next collection, an oldie but a goodie, our good old friend Gary Vaynerchuk, V-Friends at 4.9 Ethereum. V-Friends, the OG Gary V NFT collection. We've seen really high floor prices on this thing. Now the floor price is 4.9 Ethereum. He's announced the Burn Island mechanic. What do you think, Easy? I'm so torn on buy here or hold or sell. Like I think if you have one, I feel comfortable holding it. I don't know if I'd want to deploy more capital into it, which becomes tough because like Burn Island's running, but that's for book games to start. I think that they do expand that to continue to limit downside or limit like the number of supply. The big thing is like VCon coming up. So like I think that has some form of a run going into that. It seems Gary V's returning to NFTs. He's been teasing that he's gonna become a buyer again here soon. So I think that helps to an extent, but what, like, how much of the potential upside? Captains, I felt comfortable about going back to five. I don't really feel comfortable seeing V friends go back to their all-time highs. Got it. Okay. Well, that's that. Anything to weigh in with, Nick? This is so disappointing. I bought. I'm looking at what the price was that I ended up spending. I spent eleven thousand four hundred dollars on a V friends two. <sighs> it, it's it's now worth two thousand. So that was uh, 10 months ago. I should sell this thing and take the $10,000 loss uh, so that I can get some tax deductions. Uh, I should have done that at the end of the year. I didn't realize that that was another option for me. That would have saved me uh, some money. Damn, that hurts. You know, this is uh, this is a tough one. Um, I, I basically paid that much for, a v, for the, uh, the V-Friends 2, and I could have had a V-Friend for it. It's disappointing to see. I'm going to be honest. I mean, it's one which is like in terms of the community, I, I feel like we see a lot a lot less overlap between VFriends and the NFT uh, flipping space at this point in time. But if you think back to like a year ago or maybe uh, over the past two years, we went from this community being heavily exposed to VFriends and very communicative about it to a lot of that community and not talking about it anymore, at least not being visible on, uh, on our timeline. And so that's something that, um, I don't know that, that part is, uh, tough. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see how this, uh, 
pans out. You know, now that I'm not a speaker at v- VCon, I don't even know if I'm going. You know, that's kind of how I'm feeling right now. I'm thinking, you know, I got to focus on my business. You know, the business that we're building, and uh, uh, it, you know, and and that's kind of how I'm feeling about it right now. A little bit, a little bit hurt. I'm gonna text Gary and be like, "Yo, do you offer refunds?" I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, Nick, with the I, I, dude it, own, owning one of the V friends right now. I mean, I, I feel like if you don't have one, it, it's it, it's one of it's one of the mid caps at this point. Um, it was in the blue chip territory before, but I like holding it as a as a mid cap, and I think Gary's gonna uh, figure something out. You're you're basically shopping between that and Moonbirds, and if I'm gonna pick between them. I'm going to go with uh, V Friends. I would go V Friends over Moonbirds too. Nick with the wow bomb right there, talking about not going to VCon because he's not a speaker this year. I agree, Nick. That's bullshit. We got to get in touch with the manager of VCon or something. So, wait, easy. Was that a sell call? I did. I think a sell call. I, uh, I wish there was a hold option. Now he kind of straddled the fence there. <laughs> buddy holding you accountable easy what's the call easy right, I'm selling it we're selling it we're selling it selling, selling v friends at five ETH, ladies and gentlemen don't tell gary anyways moving on we got two more collections ladies and gentlemen this one this one is funny i see nick is uh over here looking at this nick's about to be smiling for this one this is rare a pepe yacht club send it to zero <laughs> send it to zero that, the the community was offended when I said that the acronym for it is rape, like so, uh, and I was calling them uh, rapists. Uh, that was the, they were offended by that one, but like you don't came say up with this name. Oh, I wonder why. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I don't see a lot of them talking about it now. It, 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 that one is just a, a garbage project, and uh, I, I here's how garbage it is. I'm not going to get any comments on it because no one's left holding those things. And if they are, they're embarrassed about that fact. So uh, no one's interested in that project anymore. Sell the hell out of that thing. Well, lady, it, put it in your hidden folder because you can't even sell it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, for the record, that was a very quick send it to zero call from Easy. A cautionary tale here. That was one of the free mints that came out during a period where free mints were popular. A lot of times when those free mints end up getting traction, the people holding them are extremely passionate because this is their big chance. This is the time that they're going to have something. And when we said that it probably wasn't a good project to buy it, one Ethereum floor went from zero to one Ethereum floor. The outrage was like of of just incredible uh scale uh and that's a big indicator that a lot of people were uh betting a little bit too hard that that was going to be their big break and they should have taken profits going from zero to one eth that's like an infinity x so you better uh you better learn from that anybody that was uh you know over there trying to hold that thing through one eth how high did you really think it was going to go anyway ladies and gentlemen last one gutter cat gang at 1.1 Ethereum, one of the Why most... Why is it so low? I just bought one. No, you didn't. Did I you? I swear, I just bought one, yeah. Whoa! They sell it. You're screwed. <laughs> what do you mean, you're screwed? Whoa, we're getting some chime in from Jonah, from Bunny, from other people besides Easy. The show is, uh, or the segment is, uh, buy, sell, or send it to zero with Easy Eats Bodega. We have to hear from him first. Easy. Oh, no. Easy's frozen. The g- I'm back. The, I'm the rare I'm A Pepe hack team hacked Easy's internet. It. I'm selling it. Why? <laughs> because I don't want it. What do you mean, why? Because like, they've been slow rugging for months. Unless there's a leadership change, this is a straight send it to zero. 
Oh, wow. We're getting some opinions that I didn't see coming when it comes to uh, Gutter Cat Gang. We got to hear. So we, uh, and ladies and gentlemen, should be noted that our very own host of the show, Nifty Nick, bought one apparently. This is breaking news. So, uh, easy. What's going on? Uh, the bunny's point. We've actually talked about this a lot. Like, they actually had an event that looked interesting, but it was all community led and the community was creating physicals and stuff like that. That was like not the project. So, it's like, I don't know what else has happened. These were the pinnacle of like a strong community and they even did GutterCon in Vegas. And now since it's just kind of like fallen off, I guess you could say. And I don't know how they rebound. Like I think Easy, the right only other really catalyst just- I could think of for them was when they sponsored a team in the TBT, like the that big summer basketball tournament. But yeah. that was also community driven. Like that wasn't from the leadership. I have a question real quick, real quick. And I want to hear from Nick. I want to hear from Sig, whoever, Jonah. Uh, did they take venture capital? Did, did, did they have a funding round? I don't think so. Oh, that's scary. That's scary. No one holding you accountable. That's pretty scary. Nick, something to chime in with? Well, maybe I regret this purchase. <laughs> uh, just tweeted it out. Uh, we'll see what people think uh, about whether or not this was a uh, dumb purchase. Wow. Um, first response says, sell that hoe. Oh, okay. that's, that's rude. That's very rude. You know what? Like, I'm on I'm on Easy's page now, but Gutter Cat community, like, people people who hold Gutter Cat, like, like that 2021 Bored Ape kind of group, right? And they love the art on Gutter Cat Gang. They just, like, there's something about it that's, that's just so iconic of 2021. And if that, if, if there isn't, a rumor of an acquisition news you would buy that collection because i'm telling you what the community have executed by themselves um without the lack of like with no intervention from the leadership it goes to show you just how like cultish and i say that in a positive way and how much they want gutter cat gang to um actually succeed so i would say unfortunately nick you probably bought in a little bit too high but give it 18 that. months. Give it 18 months. And if you see acquisition news or anything like that, that's going full send. If Oni Force ran how it did on an acquisition and Guttercat even gets a rumbling of one, this thing goes to threes. Okay, real quick, I just want to point this out, ladies and gentlemen. What you guys are talking about is that this is literally like a rug pull actually and you're banking on an acquisition from somebody else because the current team will not do anything yeah it's an rna rugs and acquisition oh my god i mean that's <laughs> that's not great that's not good for right now nick's nick's face says it all well, look, <laughs> if, if anybody in the audience wants to give me one fat fact check have they taken venture funding if they've taken venture funding, then that's no. a different. Well, then that's that's bad news, man. Uh, like this is the part that NFT uh, market participants don't understand. People always uh, people had like a negative sentiment towards venture funding. Venture funding keeps these people accountable. They can get sued by investors. Yeah, I mean, it's dude, you're not gonna do anything if you have venture funding. Literally, A16Z investing, you're just not gonna do anything. That's gonna happen. It's a different story if you have A16Z, but at, talk to any venture capitalist about the uh, some of the trash, the worst portfolio companies that they have and what went down, and everyone has a story, and it doesn't involve uh, lawsuits. They just write it off as a loss, largely. Um, but yes, uh, it, like, it, I mean, look, investors expect in general to lose on you. They don't want to, but like, and and they they're they're placing a bet, hoping that they succeed. 
but generally portfolios within the venture space loses money. So it's not it's not a guarantee. The no, it's not a guarantee. Just, the guarantee is the distinction is who loses money uh, in this. And right now, the uh, the distribution of losers in this case is primarily um, uh, uh, customers who who have this. I I think it's just crazy that this turned out. I did not realize that this is going. Wait, Nick, why did you buy rug. this one? It literally looks like if Tony the Tiger was a crack addict. Uh, and I know, nice joke. I don't need any, any, nice any feedback here. Okay? Hold on. But Nick, real quick, real quick, because I do think a lot of times I say things and you you play devil's advocate, which is great. But I just want to like really dive into this for one second. Do you not agree that in this space, there's a pretty significant uh, percentage of individuals that create these you know, X thousand piece generative JPEG collections. And after making the art, that is the only effort they put forward. Would you say that that's fair? Oh, I agree with that. They had like a full roadmap. What well, was even crazier? Oh, oh they like, definitely were trying for a period of time. But Nick, do you know what I mean? That like, let's say a, a funding round comes in, you know, with, with institutional investors. Wouldn't that make it less likely that people would do literally nothing? Because we see some people do literally nothing after they make the JPEGs. It it is a signal, and I think it's a po- it is a better signal. And also the fact that the now they're not getting royalties makes it a worse uh, scenario. This could be one of the ones that gets really penalized as a result of the death of royalties. Um, I even look towards pudgy penguins and think about the amount of capital that they have on hand and say, man, they 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 have to execute. But you you still have to say, well, what's the business model for for a, a lot of these different projects now? Guttercats was uh, some of the best execution in terms of rolling out PFP projects. Um, and I remember people saying, I loved their uh, their stand where they had street ball basically at NFT. That was NYC. cool. But uh, outside of that, yeah, maybe this was like a trash purchase. And, and your point about like, I, I'm not saying that venture capital isn't like, is it, I don't mean like that it's a bad signal. I think that it is like, it's more positive than having no capital. I'll agree with that. I just, it's not a guarantee of, of anything, but yeah, I, uh, the fact that they don't have it, I just don't know if it's necessarily, uh, an inverted thing, but like if they generated, they're one of the highest traded, uh, secondary projects, they have over 26,000 worth of ETH that was traded on there with, uh, let's call it their royalty rate was 5%. So that means just on that level. If they had 26,000 ETH, that's 1,300 ETH. If you take it at an average of, let's give them 2,250, they made $3 million just on royalties of gutter cat gang alone. They should have generated, I think. I feel like they were one that generated upwards of $10 million. Uh, I just read an article that they uh, literally pulled in 10 to $15 million during a short period of time, yeah. peak bull run. Yeah, So uh, and, and, and they probably made more as the royalties continued. So I just feel like... Um, that that aspect of things to me is like, dude, if you can't figure something out, that said, uh, what we're witnessing and what we're experiencing is the reality that I mentioned the other day, which is that like the vast majority of people in Web3 don't know how to make a business. They they know or build a business, they know how to generate sales of NFTs. Which there is a distinction between those two things. Gutter Cat Gang has, I mean, they're in the top one hundred of all time volume on, on OpenSea, but they've done as much they're on the same level as like cool man's universe right and, and gutter cat gang's been here for all of eternity and, and, and coolman's has never had a floor price upwards of 10 ETH. no like, I, I don't know i've been pretty bearish on this for a while so 
Someone said I'd rather be this an undisclosed promo than an actual purchase you made. <laughs> I think I know how Mongrel should spend his money. I think he should take the one point six million and acquire. That's the rudest comment ever. Ever. Yeah, that's pretty bad. That is so rude. What? That is the funny. Who said that? I'm following that person. That was funny. Who said that? Every comment is that this is an awful uh, <laughs> purchase. I mean, I've never seen this this universal disdain against a project. I, I basically just lost money. Should I just like dump it to, to we <laughs> I think no, point? no. I think you should hold it now for brand. I think you should hold it. Well, uh, whatever you do, that was the whole thing was worth it for that comment. That's a hilarious thing to say. Well, look, ladies and gentlemen, that was an epic episode uh, segment of buy seller send it to zero. The segment where Easy Eats Bodega lets us know whether he's buying, selling, or sending it to zero. To recap, that was a sell on checks by Jack Butcher at two ETH. It was a buy on the plague at point thirty six ETH. It was a sell, but a but a tough decision. On V friends at 4.9 ETH. That's why we do this segment. We challenge easy to make tough decisions. That was a sell at 4.9 ETH for V friends. That was ascended to zero and no surprise on rare a Pepe Yacht Club 0.1 ETH. And last but not least, it was was it a sell or ascended to zero easy on, on Gutter Cat Gang? A sell. It was a sell. Not too harsh. It was a sell on Gutter Cat Gang at 1.1 ETH. Uh, the audience is being quite harsh on Gutter Cat Gang after Nick put in a purchase purchase with one person saying that they'd rather it be an undisclosed sponsorship than a legit buy. I'm about to just sell this thing. Like, I'm literally just about to turn around and sell it. Well, there you go. People are also saying that Gutter Cat Gang is an ERC-1155. I'm like, what no. even are you talking about? That's not possible. And multiple people are like, no, no, it is. I'm like, what the hell does that even mean? A PFP can't be an ERC-1155. Uh, but anyway, Nick, we got to give away that portal, and then we're wrapped up. I'll send an email to whoever it is. <laughs> I mean, Nick's dealing with something different, ladies and gentlemen. The portal will get distributed. I mean, what do I have to do? Uh, I get... Huh. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. Shout out to 9Gag CEO. We'll have to reach out and have 9Gag CEO uh, come back on the show another time. For the second time, we're definitely overdue for something like that. If, right if he's down, of course, shout out to, to 9Gag and the squad over at Memeland. Anyway, that's our show, ladies and gentlemen. That is, uh, that's it for today. We run the show Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10.15 a.m. Eastern Time each and every week where we discuss all things NFTs. I'm your host, P.O., here with Nifty Nick, filled with regret today. Love to see it. Uh, Easy Eats Bodega, the host of the favorite segment, Buy, Sell, or Send It to Zero. Signal, what, what, do you, what can he say about Signal? The best, one of the best in the business. Shout out to Jonah, shout out to Bunny, and shout out to everybody else that joined today. We'll catch you guys next time. In honor of Nick's purchase, we're going to play Cat Daddy. We'll catch you guys next Check time. This out, baby girl.